0: Last week, we started off with who the Buddha was, and we went through his life in a very small way and then we what did he have to say and He, he said four things that he is known to have said we think, and the first thing he said is that life is ultimately unsatisfactory and and you know and when you 're at a certain age, absolutely, and even if you 're not at a certain age, even if you 're living in south central is a compared to Paulus Verdes, life might be unsatisfactory. But even if you live in Polis Verdes, life is unsatisfactory. And if you're a Republican or Democrat, life is unsatisfactory. You know, and it just goes on and on and on. And why is life unsatisfactory? Because we have desire. We want to cling and hold on to the, all the good stuff. And we want to get rid and push away of all the bad stuff. But unfortunately, we're born with original ignorance, not original sin, and we never figure out how to do it. We can't hold on to stuff because stuff is always changing. That is our dilemma. Everything changes all the time. And just when you put all the pieces together and have it just the way you want it, it changes again. And now you have to repackage it and put it together again. But everything, all those pieces have changed as well now. So you have to find the new pieces and put them all together and have that perfect moment that falls apart in the next moment. So it's, life is like that. That's how life works. And that's why it takes us a long time to come to acceptance with the way life is and the way our life is. And that acceptance leads to a personal peace. It may not lead to happiness, though. And if you're looking for happiness, you might be disappointed. But if you're looking for peace and you're practicing Buddhism, that is the ultimate goal. And the ultimate goal in Buddhism is peace, and we call that peace nirvana, which is the profound acceptance of the way things are. And that allows us to let go of our suffering, to get rid of our suffering. So desire, change, those are the two things that cause the unsatisfactoriness in our life. We have an answer, we have nirvana, and we have a path leading to ultimate peace, nirvana, and it's called the Eightfold Path. Right view, right intention, right speech, right action, right livelihood, right effort, right mindfulness, and right concentration, and it's all on Google. You don't have to write anything down. They got it for you. Okay. So last, last week I talked about right view, understanding the four noble truths at a relative and ultimate level, and understanding how karma works in our life. Because that is our savior, if you will. I'm hesitant in using that word. But karma, if we understand how speech, action, and thought works, we have much more control over our life than we did before. Because if we want to change our life, we need to speak in a skillful way, We need to think in a skillful way, and we need to act in a skillful way. Okay, so that's right view. Now, right intention. There are a couple ways to understand intention in the Eightfold Path, but two of them I really like. One is the intention of simplicity, also known as the intention of renunciation. But people don't like that word, renunciation, because it means they have to give something up if they're practicing renunciation. But that's not necessarily the case. You don't necessarily have to give stuff up. You simply have to understand that things will be taken away. There you go. Huh? Yeah. Like walking. Yeah? Geez. Yeah? Who would have thought that? So you're not renouncing walking. You're dealing with the fact that it's been taken away. Never in a million, million years did I ever think I'd end up in a little scary. There you go. I know. I know. Life is full of surprises. <laughs> and most of them aren't good. But, <laughs> but it's true. It's true. So, so we, we want the intention of simplicity. And our lives are so complicated. It's just everything. And it's all going online now. You know now you have to have three passwords instead of two. And you have to give your number so they can message you and say, is it really you who wants to go into?" You know? yeah, man. And so it just goes on and on and on. And now I just registered my car. Okay, I've got a basic, simple car. You know, nothing special. It's ordinary. And, and I thought, you know, I'm going to, I shouldn't drive a fancy car. I shouldn't have a Lexus because it doesn't look right for the monk to drive a Lexus, you know? So I've got a Chevy. People don't even realize they still make Chevys, but you know, I, I found a Chevy it's used. I got, it was on sale before the pandemic. It was on sale before the pandemic. So I, I saved at least 30%. (laughs) And it's fine, it's a small, subcompact four-door. It's fine, it works great. So, got to register it every year, you know? They, they want money because you have a car. Do it online, they said, do it online. Save paper, save paper, they said. Okay, so I went online and filled out all the online forms. And in the mail, I got the envelope with the registration. And then it said, go online, And fill it out again and pay your thing. Well, I'm thinking, I I did this so I could save paper and ultimately save trees. And now I'm getting the envelope and i got to go online. And there you go. So it doesn't get simpler. It only gets more complicated. So we should strive to have less stuff, not because we're going to be an ascetic and only drink water and eat bread. But because if we have less stuff, there's less stuff to insure, there's less stuff to worry about, there's less stuff to clean. There's less stuff means a lot of more time for you, you know. And as we age and get into our senior wisdom years, we need more time to think about stuff. You know, every day I, I feed the cats, and I feed the cats in the backyard, and I feed them in the front yard. Because when they get the food in the front yard, they think it's different food than they got in the backyard, and then they finish it up, you know? And so context is very important for cats, I've come to understand. But one of our houses at the center has a porch, and it has a rocking chair. And so I'll put the cat food down in the front yard and I'll go on the porch and sit in the rocking chair and just rock back and forth. And I'll watch the cars drive by and I'll watch the people walking their dogs walk by and, and just the busy activity of the world. That it, it, It's such a wonderful moment that shines much brighter than watching TV because it's real life. And in the old days, before we had computers and TVs and stereos, a lot of people would go on the porch and just sit and look at stuff. Or maybe even talk to each other. Come on, talk to each other? What's wrong with them? You know? So I do that every day, and that kind of simplicity I really enjoy. Though I'm on the internet every day, too. It takes me two hours to post on Facebook. I have some really good posts, though, I have to say, my opinion. And people seem to like them. People to I get more and more followers every day, and I'm going, I'm doing something right. Because the, the posts aren't about me. The posts are about big things and funny things. And sometimes, I posted one yesterday of an elevated shot of our backyard. I took it from the second floor window of the backyard at the sendo. And the quote was, if you want a different perspective, climb a tree, poo, Winnie the Pooh said that in one of the books. and I thought, this is profound. <laughs> so I posted the picture and I posted the, the little phrase and people said, did you climb a tree? I said, no, no, this is just the second floor. But it is, you get a much different viewpoint if you're a little bit higher and off the ground. So those are the things I post about. How to, how to experience the world in a different way. How to experience the world in a better way. I used to post a lot of stuff about you know, uh, other things that weren't very happy or peaceful, and, and now is not the time. Now people need to remember the good stuff because we have enough bad stuff all the time. And, and if you watch TV for any length of time and you watch the news for any length of time, you see it. It's just, oh, not, not good. It just reminds us how much work we need to do, really. If we want to have world peace we got to start with inner peace. And most people don't even know how to do that. So, Buddhism is a good way to start understanding and working on your inner peace. And it is non-theistic. Which means you can be anything you want to be. Because Buddhism doesn't have a God to interfere with your supreme being. And a lot of people, you know what I'm saying? A lot of people have the Supreme Being, whatever it may be, whoever she or he may be, and they go to that being for safety and solitude, you know, and care. And Buddhism says that's fine. There's a place in the world for that too. I'm just teaching you two things, the Buddha said. I'm just concerned about two things. Those two things are why you suffer as a human being and how to end that suffering as a human being. That's what I'm concerned about, you know? And I thought to myself, that's what I want to know. I'll let all the gods in the world be up to somebody else. But I want to know about what it means to be a human being because that has fascinated me my whole life. Who was I at 15? Who was I at 30? Who was I at 50? how did I change, what did it all mean, is it important, we all know how it ends, you know, and there you go. So do we, should we do anything at all? Yeah, we should always do something. But it doesn't require a lot of thought sometimes, a lot of philosophical reflection. Sometimes just picking up the poop in the backyard is good enough. Because when you got cats, you got poop. And you know what? People hate cats because they poop. And I'm thinking, yeah, yeah, we could say the same about a whole lot of things. <laughs> but that's life, that's how we deal with it. You know? We don't have to overthink poop. We just pick it up and put it in its proper receptacle. Taken care of. Until the next time. Keep life simple. Okay? And then the second thing about Right intention is non-harming. Non-harming. Kindness. Non-harming. Because we harm people in a variety of ways. We can ignore them. We can put them down. We can feel that they're not as good as us. There's so many different ways to harm people and harm the environment and harm all the creatures that live here. And what I have found for the most part is as I get older, I'm really more focused on making the life of the little creatures that are non human just a little easier. You know? Because they, they struggle every day. They gotta find food, they gotta find water, they gotta find safety. And it's difficult. Even even at our center, sometimes it's difficult for them because what happens? They poop and the humans say uh, na, 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 na. so it's just it's so I, i'm really sensitive now to, to little animals i can't even watch the nature shows anymore you know like like the african safaris you know even if they're just taking pictures but you know why i can't watch them because they end up killing something and eating it now i know that's how life works okay but i don't want to spend my time watching animals kill other animals and eat them you know it's just sad. it's a sad commentary, but doesn't that tell us a lot about life on Earth? Yeah? Why are they all here? They're all here to be killed and eaten. We made it to the top. So we get to kill and eat, you know? And only a few things eat us, you know? But they, but they have to catch us first, and we're pretty, <laughs> we're pretty slick. You know what I'm saying? So it's like, OK, as we get into this non-harming I think what happens is your heart starts to open a little bit more and and this kindness and compassion starts to be more meaningful. And I have separated kindness from compassion and I define kindness as being an intention and compassion as being an activity. So the activity of compassion starts with the intention of kindness. But we need to raise that intention. And this non-harming is a good way to do it. We raise the intention of non-harming so we can have compassionate activity in the world. Okay. So far, so good. Huh? Say that again. Oh, I wish I could. We have... I'll, I'll, you know, because this stuff is done at a different level. So I, it's, I just say it, I don't necessarily hear it, but let me, I know, it sounds weird, I know, but I've been meditating too long now, so, I just, so stuff just happens. But, but we want to raise the intention of non-harming so we can have the activity of compassion. Yeah, yeah. Does the bring in nature, because that's nature, like you're saying, you know, animals kill each other. no, that is nature, yeah, that is nature. Right. yeah. Yeah. Well, that's the way it is. I, 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 I don't want to say it's okay, but I'm, I'm going say that's the way it is. Exactly. You know? and, and, we, and you have to accept that. But if you can prevent some of the, the, you know, the killing and the eating, then that's a good thing. Now, I'll give you an example. There was a house across the street from the center a few years ago, and everybody was moving out. They had sold the house, and moving out. And they had a pond in the back, and they had some little fish in the back pond. And they just left them there. And I said, can I go and, and take the fish and put it into our pond? Because you know, we have a pond in the backyard. And they said, yeah, if you want to. But they're just little fish. I said, yeah, I want to. <laughs> so I went over, and I got all the little fish that I could find, and I transported them over to our pond. And, and now they're not so little anymore. But that's, that's what I'm, I'm talking about, that the humans have the ability, more so than any other animal on Earth, to make a difference. You know, Because most animals are at a survival level. And so our job is to just get that survival level taken care of you got food, you got water, you got transportation, you got a house, you got some clothing, you got all the survival stuff is pretty much taken care of. Now, you can spend a little more time on the other stuff. Like the compassionate stuff, like the making a difference in the world stuff, like trying to be a better person every day stuff. And and that's what I think humans that's where they shine the most. That that this animal creature we call us has evolved because of ego because of ego and that ego allows us to separate ourselves from everything else so we can see the carnage we can feel the pain of all the creatures on earth which can drive us crazy as well because that's the nature that's their nature It'll never change. We can only save and help and reduce the suffering in our own small little personal way until we get a friend and then we got two until we get a community and then we might have thousands until we get a state and then we might have millions until we get a country. We might have more than millions, hundreds of millions. And if all those people are working to reduce suffering, and, and make the world a much more pleasant place to live, it will be worth it to have been born as a human being and go through the suffering and confusion and loss that we all go through every day and in our whole life. Does that make sense? Okay, I know it's... The ego is definitely the thing. The, the ego thing. is definitely the thing. Now, quickly, and then I have to keep going with the Eightfold Path. <laughs> but the ego... Someone much wiser than I am once said, the ego is a terrible master, but a wonderful servant. So can we change our master into a servant? And that's where Buddhist meditation comes. It's the cultivation of mind. It's allowing ego not to go away, but to be used in a different way. Not to be ridiculed or criticized, but to find the things that having an ego make possible in the world to reduce suffering. And and ultimately, as Ramdas, one of my favorite teachers, always used to say, our job in the beginning is to be somebody. We go to school, we have peer groups, we have careers, we have families. But after we become somebody, our job is to become nobody. What's that? To become successful. Well, yeah, that has a whole lot of meanings, doesn't it? You know, sometimes just getting up in the morning is successful. You know, <laughs> so you're right. So you, you you become somebody, you become successful, you become what this, and become that, and then and then our job is to become nobody. Yeah. To let all that go, and you know why? It's good to be nobody, because nobody dies well. Oh oh. oh, oh, where's my drum solo? <laughs> but Ram Dass, he was a cool guy. The sad part about Ram Dass for me, I, I saw him twice live I and mean, even signed a book I had. And, and uh, Yeah, 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 he did. He did I, I, a couple years ago, in, more recent than past. And, and, and he had a stroke. And and really, you know, uh, put a kink in his teaching and his life. And they wouldn't let him go. They wouldn't let him go. He continued to teach and give talks and stuff. And they'd wheel him out in the wheelchair and he'd do the whole thing. And I'm thinking to myself, why not let the guy just, you know, work on himself now? He's already helped us for 20 years. Given us so many insights and, and ideas about how to be better people. Why not just let him be alone or support him, but not be public? He doesn't need to be public anymore, you know. Maybe it was his choice. Pardon? Maybe it was his choice. Maybe, maybe. But I, the feeling I always had was more their choice than his choice, you know, because he had websites and he had merchandise and he had all sorts of stuff. And I don't think he cared about that. Ego gets to his wife. Yeah. Yeah, well, he had he had an interesting ego, and one of the one of the best things I've heard about Ramdas is that Ramdas always talked about how stuff went wrong in his life, you know, and how he was the victim or he, he didn't understand the situation enough, and, and then he shared with us the information necessary to not have that happen again, and da, da, da. so so he was always about him and what he had done wrong. Not what he was doing right, and, and how he corrected it, and how those teachings could help everybody listening. And somebody said about him, you know, he always had more stories. He never had less stories. He always did stuff wrong. And even more stuff. So. <laughs> Perfect! He never was wanting to know what to talk about. He always had the next story because of the next situation he found himself in. Good guy. I liked Ram I Hated to see him go, but we all go. And 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 he left behind a legacy that that allows future people, future young people, or medium people, or old people, to pick up on some of his wisdom and what he had done in his own life and what he helped others do. You know, good guy. So anyway, we're going to get back to the eightfold path, and we have right view, we have right intention, then we have right speech. And the Buddha said there are a couple kinds of speech we want to avoid. We want to avoid harsh speech, malicious speech, false speech, and gossip and idle chatter. Those four things we want to avoid. So if you're really into watching TMZ, the TV show, no right speech there. Gossip and idle chatter. And they made a living doing it. So it's just, it's an interesting thing to go into conversation and have those four reference points, and you want to avoid those in any conversation that you have. So you may have fewer conversations, you may have no conversations, and you may find that silence is your best friend. Because if you listen to everybody's idle conversation, it usually isn't, profound or life-changing, you know, it's like where to get the best gas prices or they have a sale on broccoli at Vons. You, we don't want to miss that. And those are all good things to know, you know, but then they always add, but don't get checker number three because she's really not friendly. <laughs> you go, oh God. I just wanted the broccoli. That's okay. So, so right speech is very important. Now, the next path factor is right action. And right action is not to kill, not to steal, and no sexual misconduct. Okay. So that's pretty easy, not to kill. But it's not because, um, you know, there are mosquitoes and ants and scorpions and all sorts of creatures in the world that we don't want in our living areas and we can't figure out how to catch and release so we just kill them, and we have cans of poison that we like to spray around. And and then those darn weeds just ruin our lawn, so let's get some weed killer and kill the weeds, because the weed is just an unloved flower, and we don't want any weeds in our yard, because we want the perfect yard, which is all just a concept and has nothing to do with with earth. and And yards and forests it's just you know it's like i'm going to cut down the ugly tree cuz it ruins the forest and you go how can a tree be ugly you know what is the criteria for an ugly tree as co- compared to a beautiful tree and then christmas starts to come right and they always cut down the best looking trees for the for the square or the building or the department store. And what trees don't they cut down? The ugly trees. So maybe, maybe the ugly trees figured it out. <laughs> I'll just be ugly and they won't touch me. <laughs> you know. So we don't want to take life if we can avoid it. And, and, it, and it's difficult sometimes, but it allows you to reflect on, the, on how special life is and how rare life is. Of all the planets that we know of, only one has life. And we're pretty full right now. We're coming to you know the place where we have pretty much all the life we need, human and otherwise. Uh, but of course, that doesn't stop us from having more. But how rare it is to be born. I, I never thought about this until I read the Zen thing. What was your original face before you were born? And I thought, what an odd thing to ask. But those Zen people are like that. They ask odd things. And I thought to myself, I don't know what my original face was. I don't even know if I had a face. <laughs> and then I thought to myself, how long was it before I was here? Before I showed up. In 1949, on April 3rd, where was I residing? You know? And they go, wow. That's a trip. Start thinking about that. And coming from a Lutheran background... We didn't have reincarnation or rebirth. So apparently I didn't exist at all in any way. And then it took the love of two people and the lust of two people to invite me to the planet. And I made it. And then I have to leave. And then where do I go then? And it seemed okay before I was here. I guess it'll be okay after I'm not here. Everything seems to be fine on those ends. But then I found Buddhism, and Buddhism says, no, man, you've always been here in some form or another. You just kept getting reborn as stuff. You know, maybe a piece of dust, maybe a, a chicken, you know. You know, maybe a, you know, a human, if you're lucky enough, you know. And then you got to go to heaven occasionally, Buddhist heaven. But Buddhist heaven isn't forever. It's really disappointing to people because they think... You know, I finally made it. All the karma that I accumulated over my lifetime, all the good stuff I did, I got all this karma account. Now I'm going to spend it, man. I'm going to go to heaven and just have a great time. And it just drains your karma account. And at the end of your heaven life, you've got no more karma to keep you there. So you have to leave heaven. And maybe go back as a human, you know, and, and get more karma so you can go back to heaven. But then you find out, but that's not the ultimate goal in Buddhism. The ultimate goal in Buddhism is not to go to heaven, because heaven also is temporary. The ultimate goal in Buddhism is to go to nirvana, which is unborn and undying. Now, I don't know what that means. I can't tell you. Intellectually, it short-circuits everything in my head. Undying and unborn, you know? But... It seems to me to indicate that there's a place I can go and exist without being born. Wow! Because everything I know of on this planet was born. Even the mountains had a first start, had a first cause. Even the mountains. But they had to die and turn back into sand eventually too. But this is like, no... You don't have to be born ever again if you achieve nirvana, which is not a big selling point because it sounds like, well, what do you do if you're not born? But apparently, it's a pretty pleasant experience because you don't have to suffer. You don't have to do anything except exist in a rarefied state. So, is it your soul like in an astral place, basically? No soul. Buddhism doesn't have a soul. Freaks people out. How can you not have a soul? Well, Buddhism says, no, it's not really you don't have one. We just can't find it. You know, and if you want to have a soul, it's perfectly okay. We don't we don't say, you know, you shouldn't have a soul, but we just say as a Buddhist, a soul is is inconsequential. It doesn't really do anything. And we're not even sure if it exists anywhere. And so they, you know, back in the 20s, they did x-rays to find out if people had souls. What did the x-rays say about people having souls? Well, they looked everywhere. And they couldn't find anything except give those poor guys and gals radiation poisoning as they went looking for the soul. And then they said, well, I know how we can find out about a soul, is we'll weigh somebody before they die, and we'll weigh somebody after they die, and the difference in weight will be the soul. Well, they did that, and there was a difference in weight. But it really didn't have much to do with the soul. So, we say that there is nothing eternal and unchanging that exists independently Nothing eternal, unchanging, that exists independently. Everything is interconnected and interdependent and always in a case of change and flux. Okay, good. So can you live with that? Can you live without having a soul? Well, some people can't. They've got to have a soul. We say, fine, you've got to have God. We say, fine, no problem. The soul is not going to end your suffering. God is not going to end your suffering. And that's a radical statement to make, make, and I'm only doing it here, not out there. Because if you look at the way I looked at my Lutheranism of the past, and then the Catholicism, and, I'm, and I thought to myself, you know what, his only begotten son ended up on a cross. And I'm thinking, that doesn't sound like the end of suffering to me. You know, and so I'm thinking, okay. And I know he died for our sins, but we don't have sins in Buddhism. We're just really unskillful and do dumb things and cause more suffering. Okay, okay. And I've been in a lot of Catholic Buddhist dialogues. I love the Catholics because we have a similar lifestyle. We're renunciates, oftentimes, live in monasteries. And 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 a lot of the guys wonder if they should have been married and had families, you know, and the Buddhist guys are the same way and they can't have sex and is that okay and you know, and all that kind of stuff. But but when I when I listened to the Catholics, I remember Father Gill in downtown Los Angeles, and we had a Catholic Buddhist dialogue local, LA, and Father Gill was so kind, he came up to me and said, Kusla I see the spark of God in you. I said, Father Gill, I see Buddha nature in you. <laughs> <laughs> so, so we can agree to disagree. It's not going to change anything in Buddhism. We just say, okay, if, if you want a soul, fine. If you, if you want God in your life, fine. If you do this, fine. If you do this, that's okay. But we're just talking about suffering. Suffering, you know? And a couple weeks ago, I did a, a Zoom conference, peace conference, international. I was the Buddhist guy. And we had a Muslim, and we had a Hindu, and we had a Christian, and we had a Buddhist, and I think that does it. Yeah. And that was me. No Jewish and Jewish, yes, thank you. That, that was, and so the rabbi was in Israel; he was an American living in Israel, and the Hindu was in was in uh, India. The Muslim was local, L.A., uh, a, a black Muslim, and and, uh, and uh, oh, and the Christian was a woman in England, the UK, and we're all on Zoom; we all have faces. Well, it was me. I, I, was, I, was, the, I was the non-theist. I, 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 they were very bold to invite me. Because everybody else believed in some God of one way or another. And then I, there I am, the non-theist. And they, they introduced me as the non-theist. Just to let people know that they probably wouldn't hear from me what they heard from the other people. And, and so it went well. We had, we had four questions and we had two minutes to answer each question. Four questions in eight minutes you got to be pretty clever to answer a very complicated question in two minutes. <laughs> and in and, and a minute and a half, they give you a, a signal that you only have 30 seconds more to go. Okay, so it, it went pretty well. Then we had the 22nd generation cousin of Rumi. Ooh. Everybody goes, Ooh. Can you imagine the burden she carries with herself? being part of the Rumi family, even so far apart, that do you ever just talk about dumb stuff? <laughs> probably not. They probably feel insulted. You know? She's talking about a sitcom on TV. How could she's a cousin of Rumi? She needs to speak good stuff so our life is better. And, and she talked, and, you know, she tried to be profound, which is good. I mean, she had a lot to live up to. And everybody went, ooh. And then they went, oh, man, poor thing. I, I felt sorry for her. I'm glad nobody knows my parents, you know. <laughs> I, I can just be me, and it's okay, you know. So, but we're talking about peace, and, and I was the guy that brought up, Inner peace, which was quite a concept. Because what I came to understand about peace is it's interwoven with political perspectives for a lot of people. And that if you want to have peace, you got to go out and fight for it. And it might even require you to go to war and kill a lot of people, but you realize the end result will be peace. (laughs) I'm thinking to myself, what the hell? you know but i couldn't say anything because we only had 2 minutes and so i just listened and i'm going okay so i was really happy that Thich Nhat han and the dalai lama and a lot of other cool people said world peace begins with inner peace and i thought how profound was that so all we have to do is find our inner peace cool so we don't want to take life back to the Eightfold Path. We don't want to take life. We don't want to take what is not given. We don't want to steal stuff because people think they own stuff. But they don't. They just think they do. You know? And then people not to have sexual misconduct. You know? So you know, and that that's really difficult because the laws have helped us define what sexual misconduct is. And, and so we have to go by those laws. But does that cover all the sexual misconduct? You know? Or is that just social sexual misconduct? You know? And so in Buddhism we have something like, well, we don't want to have sex with children because they're being supported by their parents. And, and, and we don't want to have sex with people against their will. What a concept that is, you know? And, and so Buddhism went in a little different way, in a little more personal way, and in a little more disciplined way. Because sexual misconduct, again, starts with the person, not the society. The society may have something to do with the person's view of sex, but but we need to be cautious, so we need to be careful. And, and, and ultimately... Uh, if you want to avoid all sexual misconduct, celibacy, you know? And then you can really view sexual conduct in a, in a unique way, you know? And you can see sometimes how stupid it is, you know? And how it's only designed for one thing, to have more. And now most of our cats are fixed, thank God. But, you know, the the spring is here and the nights are warm and, and the cats are looking around for friends and you go, oh, man. But you know what? The humans are doing the same thing. So we just have a more complicated way to do it. And so sexual misconduct is really important and that's why the Buddha brought it up. Because, I think, in a way, because he was married at one time. Before he was the Buddha, he was Siddhartha Gautama and he had a child. So, so he sort of understood how the family unit worked and how important it was to keep it together and not ruin it. Okay, right view, right intention, right speech, right action, right livelihood. Can we find a job or a way to survive that reduces suffering rather than increases suffering? And, and this is a tough one because, you know, it's hard to survive. It's expensive. Uh, it's not always easy. And, and, uh, and sometimes opportunities will pop up unexpectedly that will give us a great amount of money and prestige, but may increase suffering as well. And and is it okay not to choose to do that and maybe choose that something pays less and and yet benefits society more, you know? Like uh, Jonas Salk Salk, uh, with the um, polio vaccine, vaccine. that's the guy. You know he did not patent that (coughs) polio vaccine because he wanted everybody to be able to afford it. Now, that just blows my mind, because I'm sure all the people that got, you know, the pandemic vaccines, you know, I'm sure there's some patents out there and that stuff, but Jonas Hock didn't do it. He wanted everybody to do that. How about being a garbage man, picking up the garbage, five in the morning? Does that reduce suffering? Yeah, it does. Is it a job most people would want? Probably not. Probably not. Does it pay really well? Probably not. But when all is said and done, it benefits the community in a special way. You know, doctors, nurses, lawyers sometimes. Just kidding. You know, it's just, so there are ways that we can look at what we do and, and, and sort of say, okay, is this reducing suffering or increasing suffering? As far as I know. And, and, and if we can pick one that reduces suffering, that would be the best livelihood of all. Question? No. Okay. No, but I think every livelihood would be able to take you there. You can do your job in a way that reduces suffering. Maybe. Maybe. How about selling drugs? (laughs) Well it depends. My brother sold drugs. He sold the cancer drugs and things like that. There you go. There there are good drugs, aren't Mm they? And there are bad drugs. And and so can you choose to only sell the good ones? That, you know, I mean, these are I- really interesting personal issues that we all need to go through. And, and bottom line is we need to survive. You know, so sometimes we have to do something that maybe we don't want to do for a while that isn't the most skillful in order to get over that little hump in the road so we can continue working in a better way in the future. Anyway, so the Buddhist path calls us to reflect on certain aspects of our life and evaluate them and sort of see how we're doing. And if we live long enough, we have all these different segments of the story. You know, we have chapter 1 and chapter 2 and chapter 3 and chapter 4. And then eventually we get to the epilogue, you know. You go, okay. So at 30, I was doing pretty good. And at 40, maybe not so good. But 50, I really shined. And then at 60, well started to go downhill a little bit, you know, and wanted this and didn't get that, and 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 so it's interesting and important to take the time and find the time to reflect on what it means to be you, you know. And and the, the you is an immense category because we've got the ego, we've got the actions, we've got the spiritual we've got the secular, we've got all these different aspects of who we are, you know. And, and how. And then we have thrown in to all that, what do other people think we are? Oh, man. Don't ask them, you know. But a lot of them will tell you. And then you go, okay, so now let me factor that into because that's part of me, because I'm interconnected and I'm interdependent with everybody. So they have their view, I have my view. And somewhere in between is the truth, the little truth of who we are. But even more important is the big truth of who we are. And that cannot be talked about. There are no words to describe that. That can only be experienced. And that's what I like about Zen, is they say, you know, words are okay up to a point, but the real stuff happens after the words. The real stuff happens when with awareness and 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 silence is the solitude that we need and we can evaluate and see. And when you finally find out who you are, I hope you have a damn strong practice because you may be so disappointed in what you find. You know, so keep meditating and keep doing loving kindness, especially for yourself, you know. Okay, right view, right intention, right speech, right action, right livelihood, right effort. Right effort has to do with the mind. To prevent unskillful thoughts from arising. To abandon unskillful thoughts that have already arisen. To develop skillful thoughts that are not there. To maintain skillful thoughts that have arisen. So we want to get rid of the unskillful thoughts and we want in their place the skillful thoughts. So we have to be aware of how we're thinking and what we're thinking about. Now we need to define a skillful thought and an unskillful thought. Skillful thought. Generosity. Compassion. Wisdom. Unskillful thought. Greed. Hatred. And delusion. So can you look at your mind Look at your thought process and pick those things out. Was that skillful? Was that unskillful? Do I have hatred for this situation? Do I have loving kindness for this situation? Am I so filled with delusion that I can't even see what's going on? Or do I have the wisdom necessary to to pierce the veils of ignorance and pull them apart? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, now, in one day, we go through all of them. We go through all of them, you know? You know, love the cat, hate the poop. Oh, man, what? Okay, now i got to be more kind. Okay, yeah, 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 okay. Car is clean, but it might be dirty tomorrow. Oh, man, yeah, yeah, okay. So, it's an interesting, it's an interesting exercise to see what kind of thoughts you have and what category they fall in in, a, fall in in a very general way. We don't have to be really specific. We can just say greed, okay. Hatred, okay. Loving kindness, yeah, okay. And when we find the good thoughts, we want to hold on to them. We want them to stay as long as they can. And when we find the bad thoughts, we don't want to act on them at all. And that's when you turn the master into a servant, That's when you wait for the thought created by the ego or the situation to fall away, to die. Because all thoughts come and go. None of them stay on forever. Similar thoughts will be started and created if you put energy into them. And other thoughts will die immediately if you just sit with them and don't give them the energy they need to exist. And so that's what this meditation practice we're doing is all about. It's cultivating the mind. Two kinds of meditation, concentration and mindfulness. So right view, right intention, right speech, right action, right livelihood, right effort, right mindfulness, and right concentration. So right mindfulness, we have four kinds of mindfulness meditation. Mindfulness on the mind, mindfulness on mental objects, mindfulness on sensation and mindfulness of the body. So I'm going to talk a little bit about sensation because that's the simplest one to talk about. So the Buddha said we have three kinds of sensation. We have pleasant, we have unpleasant, and we have neutral. Usually the neutral sensations don't get our attention. So we have pleasant and unpleasant. And the idea could be to sit in meditation posture, and bring your attention to the tip, to the top of your head, and scan through your whole body to the tip of your toes. And then back up again and go down. And what you're looking for is a sensation, and you want to label it pleasant or unpleasant. Okay, so you've been sitting for 20 minutes, your awareness goes to your knee, and you think you'll never walk again. Okay, so unpleasant sensation. You just keep that in mind. You found an unpleasant sensation and now you continue and you might find more unpleasant sensations until you meditate long enough where the pleasant ones start to arise too. Because there are plenty of pleasant sensations as well. Now, after finding all these sensations, you go into a deep state of reflection on the three aspects of Buddhist wisdom. They are impermanence, suffering, suffering, and not self. Those are the three aspects of Buddhist wisdom. Impermanent, suffering, and not self. Now you look at that first group of sensations that you found, and you say to yourself, are all these impermanent? And you have to come to the conclusion that, yes, they are. That they seem to get really intense for a while, and then they sort of fall away, and then they seem to almost disappear, and then they would come back, and then they go away, and you go, yeah... Everything, all the sensations are impermanent. None of them stay the same very long at all. And then you would look at the world around you, and you would say to yourself, is everything in the world impermanent? Is there anything that's unchanging? And you go, no, no, pretty much everything changes all the time. You know, even the mountains change, given enough years. And personalities change, and thoughts change all the time. So, yeah, and cars, you know, cars come and go. And, yep, yeah, I, I think that first aspect of Buddhist wisdom is, is right, that everything inside and outside is in a constant state of flux and change. Okay, now we look at all the sensations, that group of sensations, and we say, were all those sensations ultimately unsatisfactory? Were they all filled with suffering? And you go, well, most of them were. Most of them were unsatisfactory, and I was feeling suffering because I'm not used to sitting on the floor cross-legged for an hour and a half. And, uh, but now and then, there was a pleasant sensation. Ah. And that was fun, and I tried to hold on to that as long as I could, but that too went away. And you went to, back to your rumination, your reflection, and you would say to yourself, does every sensation end up being unsatisfactory? And the answer is yes, because... Every sensation is impermanent and changes. So all the pleasant ones become unsatisfactory because of change. And then you look at your life and your experience in the world and you say, are all these sensations in the world ultimately unsatisfactory? And you you factor in impermanence and you go, yeah, they do. Even the good ones. I find that good restaurant... And I just really like the food and the service. And then two years later, after the pandemic, it's not open any longer. And I go, like, oh, man. you know. So, so yeah, you, you come to that place in your practice where you'd say, ultimately, everything's unsatisfactory, so don't get attached. Don't get attached. Okay. Same can be said for impermanence as well. Don't get attached. Third, Does did any of these sensations have an original essence. Independent. We would say ego or self or personality. But you would look at them, the the group of sensations, you'd say, you know, none of them existed independently. They were all caused by other things. And all those other things in combination created the idea of entity and one. That... I had the one knee that was really hurting. But it wasn't one knee. It was a variety of sensations that came together that created the one. Now, one is really a difficult concept to work with because we like to think of one as being the best, the best one. And if you remember the matrix with Neo, he was the one. Up until the Jewish tradition, there wasn't one God. There was a hierarchy of gods. There were many gods that came together. But now we have the one God, the best God. And we have the one personality that we would love to meet and hang out with because they are the one. Okay, the one. It really drives you crazy sometimes because if you go to an interreligious gathering... What comes up automatically? We're all one. No, we're not. We're all different, connected. We're all connected. We're not one. If you say we're all one, we lose our individuality. I want to be an individual in community. I want to be separate and connected. Because that's how I can get the best work done. And then, when I realize that I'm connected... I can help everybody or I can suggest something or they can look at me and maybe it'll affect them but I can never affect the one, I can only affect parts of the one. The Dalai Lama said if you want peace, change the conditions. Peace is made of conditions. There's no one peace. It's a multitude of things that have come together in a very unique way that causes us to have peace. And as soon as those things start changing because of impermanence, the peace goes away, or it's not the same. Okay, so the one is really a hard concept to understand, but we apply it to the world and, we, and to ourselves, And we say, is there just one of me? And you look at all the generations you've lived, if you're lucky enough to have lived all those generations, you go, "No, no, I've been different in every 10 years. I get different." You know And I, some of the 10 years were pretty good. Some of them I just had a memorial service for because I wanted to get rid of those. You know But yeah, okay, I, I wasn't the same. There's, no, there's nothing that seems to transmigrate from one decade to the next. There's no unchanging quality. There's nothing that seems to be the same. I have always been different in mind and body, in every decade. And I have memories of how I used to be, but those are fragmented. Those are things that I've edited, and I've sometimes chosen the worst parts and sometimes I've chosen the best parts. But I look at that as parts of life that I have lived and either considered to be a good life or a bad life, because I'm editing them as how I remember them. Okay. And does anyone die? No one dies. No one dies. Okay. So who's going to die? All of me. Except, in Buddhism, the one thing that doesn't die, the one thing that continues lifetime to lifetime, not the soul. Karmic energy migrates lifetime to lifetime. And depending on this lifetime and all the others that you've lived that you can't remember if you're a Buddhist, that karmic energy allows you to start your next lifetime. And even more important than that, the last thought of this lifetime is the first thought of the next lifetime. So it requires us to have a good last thought. Don't watch TV, don't hate anybody. Don't feel like a victim. Don't have a bad last thought, which is so hard to do because we don't think we're the thinking. You see, we think, well, it's just thinking, thinking, and da, 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 But to understand that it's just thinking and not you takes a lot of meditation or spiritual practice. And once you've realized that you have some control over the thinking, was that part of the uh, right effort? To abandon unskillful thoughts and to resurrect or maintain skillful thoughts of generosity, compassion, and wisdom. Those are the last thoughts you want to have. One of those categories. And that will carry you over with your karma to the next lifetime. And you'll have a good rebirth and something to be happy with until the suffering starts again. So, mindfulness, very good. Uh, point of interest is the Buddha rediscovered mindfulness. It had been lost to the world. The Buddha before him practiced mindfulness and achieved nirvana. This Buddha, Siddhartha Gautama, rediscovered mindfulness and achieved nirvana. But there's another kind of meditation too, and that's called Samatha meditation or Tranquility meditation. i would have to speak fast. Uh, in Tranquility meditation... We have four levels of tranquility meditation. And they are, the first level has applied thought, sustained thought, happiness, bliss, and equanimity. Those are the five characteristics of the first level of tranquility. The second level has three characteristics. Uh, We get rid of applied thought and sustained thought. Now we have happiness, bliss, and equanimity. The third level of tranquility has two aspects. Happiness and equanimity. And the fourth level, the most rarefied level, has one aspect, and that's equanimity. Perfect balance of mind. Peace. Peace. Wow, cool, huh? Now, if you're paying attention to what I just said, you realize that Buddhist meditation is a path of renunciation. We don't gain anything. We get rid of the stuff that prevents us from achieving nirvana. I I love that. Because, you know, our whole secular life is one of accumulation. You know, the more stuff you have, the better your life, you know. And people go on retreats and they go all over the world and they visit ashrams and they're like collecting spiritual memories and stuff, you know. Don't have to go anyplace. Not about that. It's about getting rid of all the stuff. Okay, so you go into deep states of tranquility and what happens is these aspects, the polythought, the same thought, happiness, bliss, equanimity, start to fall away. And ultimately you end up with just one, which is perfect balance of mind. But that's only while you're meditating. It doesn't follow you into the world. So once the gong rings and everybody gets up, the mind goes back to how it used to be, though a bit more transparent, And they were a bit more peaceful for a while, but all the stuff comes back. So that's why the Buddha didn't stick with tranquility meditation and went into mindfulness meditation to make it a permanent state and not a temporary state. See how that sort of works? Okay, we got that. So now we have right view, right intention, right speech, right action, right livelihood, right effort, right mindfulness, and right concentration. And that is the eightfold path according to Buddhism. And you've just heard it all in less than five hours. (laughs) And hopefully, some of it made sense. Hopefully, it's going to trigger you in some way to maybe accept Buddhist practice at some level, not to be a Buddhist, but just to have a little more peaceful and happier life by following some of the Eightfold Path and letting it work for you.